But Dr. Morris Nickel, we finally have reached chapter eight. You know, this seems like it's gone on forever. I think it's because it is such difficult material. It's like traveling on a smooth road with no obstacles. It's easy, it's fast, but traveling uphill is more difficult. Recurrence in the same time is the name of this chapter. To return to the idea of recurrence, Nietzsche saw the universe as a circle consisting in a definite number of changes which continually recurs. Activity is eternal. The number of the products and states is limited. That's from the eternal recurrence. His argument was that no incalculable number of states could evolve out of a given quantity of energy, the quantum of energy that is the universe, or a system of limited forces so that repetition was bound to happen sooner or later. The whole process of becoming consists of a repetition of a definite number of precisely similar states. Everything has returned. Sirius and the spider and thy thoughts at this moment and this last thought of thine that all these things will return. So essentially what he's saying is that what Nietzsche was saying was that you've got this closed system and there are just so many combinations mathematically that can come about. And that's that in a closed system. So it's not infinite. There's just a certain number of things that can change. And once they're all done, it has to recur. It has to go over again. It's like being able to count to a hundred. You count to a hundred and then you go back to one or a thousand or 10,000 or a million or 10 million. It doesn't matter. What he's saying is it's a closed system and it's got to recur. The dust at our feet is formed from the ashes of innumerable once living creatures. It will live again in these creatures in the circle of becoming. Fellow man, your whole life, like a sand glass, will always be reversed and will ever run out again. A long minute of time will elapse until all those conditions out of which you were evolved return in the wheel of the cosmic process. And then you will find every pain and every pleasure, every friend and every enemy, every hope and every error, every blade of grass and every ray of sunshine once more. This ring in which you are but a grain will glitter afresh forever. And in every one of these cycles of human life, there will be one hour where for the first time one man, and then many, will perceive the mighty thought of the eternal recurrence of all things. And for mankind, this is always the hour of noon. I've read this a number of times, so I get it. But by the looks on your faces, I'm not sure you do. Ask yourself the question, with the thought of recurrence in your mind, is what I am doing now, what I am prepared to do an incalculable number of times. Before this thought is effective, it is necessary to know and understand a great deal. This is the case with just about anything esoteric. Before we can really begin to grasp any of it, before it becomes effective, in other words, before it can actually impact our lives in a profound way, it's necessary to know and understand a great deal. People think that they can come to this like that, just right off the street. Just walk in and understand. And we have seen how idiotic that is when people do that. They simply cannot. And when they think they can, one of two things happens. They either become very disgruntled and dissatisfied, or they live in imagination. And they imagine that they understand things they simply do not understand. In connection with the idea of recurrence, Nietzsche asks a pertinent question. How can we give weight to our inner life, to the thoughts which powerfully affect it, 
without making it appear evil and fanatical towards people who think otherwise. This is so often the case with people who grasp some higher meaning. How can you grasp higher meaning without somehow seeming impertinent? Is that what he used? Impertinent? Was that the word he used? No, making it appear evil and fanatical towards people who think otherwise. You know, you look at, well, look at what's going on in the world today, in the Muslim world. There's a huge amount of people who believe that Islam is evil. And it is because there are some crazies out there who are doing crazy, wicked, evil things, fanatical towards people who think otherwise. What does that mean, towards people who think otherwise? When I was in England a couple of years ago, I can't even remember when it was, but last time I was in England, I met these people who were Muslims and they were telling me about Islam and that this was my chance to convert to Islam, that everybody got a chance. And if you didn't take the chance, well, then bad things were going to happen to you. Now, that's fanatical, folks. I mean, that is fanatical. But then you look at the Christians and it's like, if you don't convert to Christianity, you're going to hell. That's fanatical. It's all bad stuff. But see, the problem is, is these people have not really reached a higher state. They're imagining that they've reached a higher state, but they haven't. The difficulty is that people do not want to think to arouse themselves. Even when we're discontented with life, we don't want to make the effort of thinking or finding new outlooks. Why is it that people are fanatics? People are fanatics because they don't want to think. They don't want to find a new way of looking at things. They don't want to see your point of view. They want you to see their point of view. And if you don't, they'll kill you or whatever. A man wants momentary enjoyment. He doesn't want to be disturbed. He prefers to cling to the opinions he has and to make everything as easy as possible for himself. This is so evident today. I think it is more evident today than it has ever been in my, in my life, which isn't really that much, but you know, nearly 70 years, I have seen a few things and I've seen a few things change, quite a few things change. It's like Curtis said tonight or this afternoon, just in the past year or so, so many things have changed. And I said, like what? And he had his examples that basically, you know, these hackers were holding theaters hostage. If they showed this film, then another 9-11 would happen at the theaters. And, you know, and it's like what's changed is people have lost their spiritual base. Bottom line, people have lost their spiritual base. One. I'm not going to go see that film anyway, so it matters not to me. But if somebody's going to threaten my life about something, it's like, so? I'm not interested in yielding to threats. My life is not that important. Not the life that they're talking about. They're talking about this body. This body I'm going to lay down anyway. Sooner or later, it's just a matter of time. So why should I worry about what time? It doesn't make any sense to me. But that's not the way most people look at life. Because most people haven't been trained in this way, it's very difficult for them to look at life in a different way. The idea of recurrence is painful unless it's understood. Most of us look for rest at death or annihilation. What is it that people want at death? They either want to die and that's the end of it. It's total annihilation. You no longer exist. You don't know anything. It's over. Or you get to rest. How often does the physician hear the dying say, I want only rest, oblivion, even amongst those who have appeared to have held the strongest religious opinions? How few of us truly wish to meet anyone again? Or at least how few are those we could ever deeply wish to meet? We don't even like the people in our life today. 
I mean, I'm sorry, but you can barely tolerate each other. And it's because of everything that he said. A man wants momentary enjoyment. He does not want to be disturbed. He prefers to cling to the opinions he has and to make everything as easy as possible for himself. If you cannot see yourself there, then you do not wish to see yourself there. You are unwilling to see that that's what you're like. We need to find new reasons for meeting again. We need to find new reasons for everything. We need new meaning because the meaning that we live with is meaningless. It's insanity. And how strangely the doctrine of recurrence affects us here. For the next life is this life. We meet everyone again. Have we lived this life in such a way that we desire to live it again? Have you lived this life in such a way that you desire to live it again? No? Is anyone yes with that? Well, take your time. I desire to live it again, and I can tell you why. Because I see how many mistakes I've made, and I don't want to make them again. Have we unfinished things that we long to finish and have not time? Yet fancy that you will have a long rest twixt your last moment of consciousness and the first ray of dawn of your new life, no time will elapse. As a flash of lightning will the space go by, even though living creatures think it is billions of years and are not even able to reckon it. Timelessness and immediate rebirth are compatible once intellect is eliminated. But most all of this is compatible once intellect is eliminated. Intellect is a tremendous burden. We're trying to find logical answers and reasons for things. And our logic is based on the five senses. And now we're talking about higher realms and higher states. And the senses don't have anything to do with those. Stamp says, the impress of eternity upon your life, for this thought contains more than all religions which teach us to despise life, this life is your eternal life. Of course, this statement is incomplete, as any statement about recurrence must necessarily be. Nietzsche takes eternity in the usual sense. Also, he doesn't comprehend the dimension of time itself. He doesn't grasp the idea of the living life. But the idea of the life standing through all its length in time is completed by the idea of recurrence of the life. The life is and the experience of the life in some form returns. We've talked about this. Look at how much of your life repeats. How many times have you made the same stupid mistake? How many times have you said the same stupid kind of thing or lost your temper? Which is the same thing. It's the same thing. Losing control of yourself, losing your awareness of yourself, losing your ability to remember yourself, losing your ability to be present. It happens to you a couple of times a day. Yeah, that's right. Only a couple of times a day. And why do I say that? Because you never wake up enough to have it happen to you again. It's a sad truth, but it is the truth. And for the people who don't care to know that that's the truth or who would like to argue about it, go argue with someone who cares what you think. That would not be me. So don't expect me to defend this or to explain this to someone who doesn't want to understand it or who wants to argue about it, which is the same thing, really. Somebody who doesn't want to understand something is someone who wants to argue about it. Because arguing is, when I define arguing, it is this. It is me trying to convince you that you're wrong and that I'm right. That's what an argument is. And I don't really care to argue with anyone. Fine, you want to be right? Go ahead, be right. You want to make me wrong? Fine, go ahead, make me wrong. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. And it doesn't mean you're right. All it means is that's the way you want to make it to satisfy yourself. And that's fine. You have the right to do that. And I'm not going to take it away from you. As Nietzsche says, such ideas by themselves can alter us. 
This is so true. He sees the idea of recurrence as the supreme idea for the future, one that will lead to a state of life on earth of which the imagination of no utopist has ever dreamt. But he puts this very far distant. He apparently believed that passing time brought man to a certain point of understanding, that the transformation of man lies always in the future of passing time. This is a common belief. This mightiest thought, he says, will require many millenniums. But is this not just what we always think about the action of time? Are we not always in the state of believing that the mere passage of days will bring something new and wonderful? Well, tomorrow will be a better day. Well, why will it be a better day? Just because it's tomorrow, just because time passed? I can guarantee you it won't. It won't be. And that is the definition of insanity, to keep on doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. And that's what we do, which makes us insane. It is strange that he did not see that the comprehension of such ideas as that of recurrence lies at right angles to time and that all growth of man lies in that direction. Well, what is that? Okay, let's look at that, a right angle at time. What does that mean? Well, we look at time as past, present, future. We look at time as a line, past, present, future. Let's call it this horizontal line. And what's right angle to a horizontal line? Up and down. And that is it. That's exactly what esotericism has been teaching for thousands of years. It's right now. You must pull yourself out of this time thing and into a higher state. Let's turn back to a study of older sources. As I said, the idea of occurrence is ancient. It's an idea that has lurked in the background of man's speculations about life from the beginning of our European thought. But it is an idea that has so much latent content that we cannot expect any clear formulation of it. It's too deep. If we say that it probably comes nearer the truth about another life than any other view, we must not expect that a logical statement concerning it must therefore be possible. It is above logic. Why is that? Where does logic come from? Logic is based on a premise, and it's like math. Logic is like math. So logic is based on a premise. Premise, let's say, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Therefore, 4 plus 4 must equal 8. Therefore, 8 plus 8 must equal 16. So that's a logical progression. But if you start with a false premise, 2 plus 2 equals 3. Therefore, 3 plus 3 must equal 6. Therefore, 6 plus 6 must equal 12. Do you see? That if you start wrong, the only thing that can come out of that is a wrong conclusion. It can't be right. We start our logical progression from something that the five senses are telling us. But the five senses are liars. And this is a very difficult thing for us to comprehend. This is a very difficult thing for us to really understand because it is so threatening to our existence. Let's face it. Your existence is based on the five senses. How do you know you're here? You have sensations. You see things, you hear things, you smell things, you taste things. So that's how we establish that we're here. And the truth is, that's what here is. Here is the lie that the five senses deliver to you. And we believe the lie because we have not trained ourselves to see, hear, smell, taste, touch in an internal way, in a higher way. For most people, that doesn't even exist. The possibility of that doesn't even exist. In a sense, at a time when otherworldliness has become too weak a concept for the modern mind, the idea of recurrence brings with it a new worldliness, a new materialism that relates itself both to this life and another. For now we exist no longer in a world of solid matter, 
but in a world of energies. And you must see that we no longer exist in a world of solid matter. Science has shown us subatomic particles. It has shown us things that we did not know of before. We're no longer in a world of solid matter, but now there are energies, dimensions, and relations. And we must connect all these with the concept of life, going beyond three-dimensionality, present moment, and solid body. I was watching this thing the other day uh, on mindfulness, 60 minutes or something like that, on mindfulness. And they hooked this guy up. They put 120 sensors in Anderson Cooper's on this, like this bathing cap on Anderson Cooper's head. And then they fill all of these 120 sensors, 128 sensors, I can't remember, what, with some kind of conductive gel. And then they plug it all in. And then they plug them up to a computer and they say, okay, now think of some stressful situation. And you watch, there's a part of the brain that they're focusing on. And you watch this whole thing to go up. It spikes this huge red line of anxiety and all the horrible things that we live with almost every day. And then they said, okay, now I want you to just focus on your breathing and do your mindfulness exercise. And he does that. And within seconds... All the red's gone and it all goes below the line to this tranquil state of blue. And I mean in a matter of seconds. These are things that they now can measure. I remember back in the 60s, no, 70s, probably early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, when biofeedback. Biofeedback is just feedback from your body. Bio is life, so it's life feedback is what it is. And they'd hook these things up. And I went through it one time, and, and probably it was 75, I think. I had uh, somebody hook me up to this biofeedback machine and go through this whole thing. And it was very interesting, but it was like, yeah, so what? You know, when you already know it, you're just a guinea pig. They'll hook up these monks and these meditators to these things. They already know the benefit. The meditators, the monks, they know the benefit. They don't need somebody to hook them up to a machine. And the idea of the biofeedback machine was that you could see what stresses you were putting on yourself and see what removed those stresses. And then you could train yourself to remove the stresses and to not go down the road of negative emotions that brought on all the stress. And someday it will be common, I guess it, maybe it is now, now it will be common knowledge that stress kills. Now we say it, but we don't really know it. People say it, but they don't really know it because if they knew it, they wouldn't be stressing. They'd be working to get out of it, but they're not. And the reason they're not is because they don't really believe it. It's just like this whole idea that red meat is a killer. Yeah, and look at how many people just can't wait to stuff red meat in their stomachs. And now it's common knowledge that it's not a good thing, but who cares? I like it. That's the bottom line. I don't care. I like it. It tastes good. And that is what? Isn't that what we were saying just a few minutes ago? People don't want to think. They don't want to arouse themselves. Even when we're discontented with life, we don't want to make the effort of thinking or finding new outlooks. A man wants momentary enjoyment. It tastes good. He doesn't want to be disturbed. He prefers to cling to the opinions he has and to make everything as easy as possible for himself. Didn't we just talk about that? This is the way we are. This is the way this planet is. This is why it is the way it is. Because it takes effort to get new meaning. It takes effort to drag ourselves out of this cesspool of the five senses. I'm sure people will be very offended by that. Some will. And that's fine. If you like to be offended, you've come to the right place. Because I guarantee you, I can say things that will be offensive to your sensibilities and to your self-love and to your vanity. The life is a circle. 
The image of the circle of the life is found in the New Testament. In James chapter 3, verse 6, the revolution of a man's life is spoken of. Oh, the wheel of becoming. The tongue sets on fire the wheel of nature, setting on fire the whole round of our lives. That's Weymouth's translation. In the Old Testament, the spiritual universe is seen in the form of wheels. In the vision of Ezekiel in chapter 10, Now as I looked upon the wheels, they were very high, so high that they were dreadful to behold, and they were full of eyes all round about. And their appearance and their work was, as it were, wheel within wheel. As went the living creatures, so went the wheels. And when the living creatures rose, the wheels also were lifted up in correspondence with them. For there was a living spirit, a spirit of life in the wheels. Wheresoever the spirit was to go, there they went. And where the living creature stood, there they stood. For there was a living spirit in the wheels. This is the translation given by Taylor Lewis. In another place, Six Days of Creation, he remarks, in speaking of the cyclical law, repetition, as the law of all natures, that the early rabbinical writers regarded the vision of the wheels of Ezekiel as representative of the whole system of nature. The wheels are cyclic processes, not to be seen in three-dimensional space, but in the suprasensible world, that is, higher space. And this is where we fall short. We must have empirical proof of things. It was like that email I told you I got. It was so comical. Well, it wasn't an email. I guess it was a comment on the website. And it was comical. This guy was so irate. He was so upset that I was saying that there was something that was true that he couldn't weigh or measure empirically. And that that was all nonsense and that I was basically arrogant and I lacked humility because I would dare say that that was truth when I couldn't prove it by putting it on a scale or by measuring its height or its width or its depth. Okay, well, needless to say, I didn't bother answering the comments because the guy just wanted to argue. He just wanted to be right. It's like, you know what? I don't care. I'm sorry. I don't care. You'll find your own way. I'm not the savior of the world. I'm just some guy trying to find my way. What I have found to be true, I try and share with the people who want something in their lives that has meaning. So if I find meaning, I'm happy to share it. But that's the way I am. That's what I do. And there are people who are not like that. And that's okay too. That's the way the world is. I'm not here to change the world. The only thing I care about is changing myself because that's the only thing that's ever going to change the world. You're never going to change the world, but you might, if you work really hard in the right way, you might be able to change something in yourself. And when I say you might be able to, there are no guarantees. You can work at it for a long time and have nothing happen. And then one day you just give up and all of a sudden something pops and it happens. And you think, what's up with that? You know, and a lot of people like to call that miracles or divine intervention. I don't know what it is. I imagine that it's just the way things work and that we have to make up some reason to satisfy our intellect for the way things work rather than just being like a little child who just accepts it. You can take being like a little child a little too far. The siren blew, the toaster broke. Now I know when sirens blow, toasters break. Well, that's just a little too childish. But there are some things you just need to accept as beyond you for the moment and keep on going. If you're hungry or if you're thirsty and you come upon some source of food or some source of water and it satisfies you, you can go and follow that stream to its source and probably die of hunger in the process. And then what have you got? Just accept the gift. You found water, you found something to eat. Be grateful and move on. But some people don't want to do that. Fine. Then some people should have the life they want to have.
and they may or may not wish to allow me to have the life that I choose to have. But whether they wish to allow it or not doesn't really matter to me. This goes on to say about the Old Testament, wheresoever the spirit was to go, there they went, and where the living creature stood, there they stood. There was a living spirit in the wheels. This is the translation given by Taylor, as I said. The rabbinical writers regarded the vision of the wheels of Ezekiel as representative of the whole system of nature. The wheels are cyclic processes, not to be seen in three-dimensional space, but in the supersensible world that is higher space. This is where we fail. This is where the Western world fails so miserably, is we must have empirical proof. We must judge everything according to the senses. Aristotle says, for men are wont to say that all human things are in a circle, and in the same way they speak of all things that have a physical genesis. So if it's physical, they're saying it's in a circle. The reason of this is that all things are measured by time and have their beginning and their end, as it were, in a period. For time itself seems to be a wheel or a cycle. We don't find the wheel in visible living structure. The time wheel belongs to higher dimensions. The life in time is a circle, but is it complete? We die. Man dies, says the Pythagorean physician Alcmaon, because he cannot join his end with his beginning. You die because you cannot join your end with your beginning. You cannot see that your death is your birth. If you could see that your death is your birth, then you could tie your end with your beginning. Then man would not die. But as it is, man dies because he cannot tie his end with his beginning. To our ordinary sense of things, the beginning and end of life seem furthest apart. This is because we think of passing time as a movement along a straight line extended between birth and death. With our ordinary conception of time, it seems nonsense to say that yesterday can be the future of today. But if we take a circle and mark points on it and imagine a movement around it, we can see how any point may be either regarded as future or past in relation to any other point. If we arrange the days of the week round the circle, we can't say that any one day begins the cycle of days. Or you could actually say that any one day begins the cycle of days. It's just an arbitrary point that you pick and say this is the beginning and then this is the end. The whole cycle is one thing. Its points lie together so that you can find no place in which the movement can be said to begin. For it is evident that all parts in the movement both precede and follow one another forever. And it is in this manner that time revolves. This from hermetic literature. Now you can see this. If you set these points on a wheel and then you spin the wheel, where does it start? Where does it stop? Where is the beginning? Where's the end? It's all the same at that point because it's all part of the wheel. Regarding everything is arranged on a recurring time cycle, the philosopher Cardenas, 16th century, observed that no one is a mere successor and heir of his predecessor, but also the converse. Owing to the periodic recurrence of all things, that is, a man comes both after and before his father, grandfather, etc., in the circle of time. Now see, this is when we tilt. Like, come on, what? How could I come before my father or grandfather? In the circle of time, you do. On that wheel, when that wheel is spinning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, means nothing. It's just all one thing. The circular movement of time was regarded as a perfecting process by some ancient thinkers. I'd like to think it's a perfecting process. I like to think that doing this over and over and over again, that eventually I'm going to wake up and get it right, like Groundhog Day. Others saw in it only an everlasting process without comprehensible object. 
But is not time the image of eternity because it affects the perfecting of earthly natures, just as eternity is the container and preserver of being? Things which proceed from eternity and are not able to share in a stable perfection, whole and unchanging, are under the dominion of time. Time is our answer to eternity. That's why for us, eternity is endless time because we can't comprehend anything other than time because of our time psychology. The idea is that incomplete natures as ourselves must live in time and succession, not having the strength or being to live in any other state. See, this is just such a blow to our ego. What? I don't have the strength or being to live in another state. That's right. Just like a fish doesn't have the strength or being to live outside of water. Just like you don't have the strength or being to live underwater, not without oxygen, that you can have some artificial oxygen given to you underwater, like an oxygen, what is an oxygen tank or whatever it is. People use air tanks, I guess they use when they go under or some kind of a submarine or something that's constantly producing air or refining air or recirculating air. Yeah, well, let's face it. We lack the being. You lack the being to be able to fly like a bird. You lack the being to be able to swim like a fish. You're not a fish. You can't be a fish. You're not a bird. You can't be a bird. Therefore, you lack the being. But we hate to admit that we lack anything. This is all part of our illusion. This is all part of the insanity of our twisted, crazy minds that we have inherited from other twisted, crazy minds. We live in becoming because we have no being. This is our problem, people. Our level of being is so fragmented, so disjointed, so screwed up that we have no real being. We have no real will. We have no single I. There isn't anything about us that's real. We have no being. Proclus thus gives a cause for the existence of passing time it being designed in such a way that through it all things should be stimulated to their own appropriate energies by which they are enabled to receive the end adapted to them through certain apocatastatic periods. Apocatastasis means recurrence. This positive conception of the universe moving in time relates it ultimately to the highest possible meaning that is returned to perfection throughout all its parts. The reason that things repeat is so that you can perfect yourself, so that you can evolve to what you were meant to be. That's what he says, to receive the end adapted to them, so that you can be what you were meant to be. Now, he goes on to say, the operation of time is to confer perfection on things imperfect and a circular recurrence in things that proceed, apparently, in a straight line of time. And this, he adds, does not appear to fall short of an invention or contrivance. Observe that this contrivance consists in the bending of time round so that a continual return is possible. We must study different views about this bending of time. First of all, there's the idea of a general apocatasis, or maybe it's apocatasis, according to which the whole, you know, this is the problem with speaking two languages. I'll read something phonetically, and in one language it's phonetically this way, and in another language it's phonetically that way. Apocatasis, apocatasis, whatever it is. You know, and you can read it in one way, and it's apoco, apocatastasis, or apocatastasis, which I imagine is what it is in our language, according to which the whole history of the universe moves round in one single and immeasurably vast circle. 
Nietzsche spoke of recurrence from this standpoint, but we have already seen that Proclus spoke of certain apocatostatic periods. We'll return to Proclus subsequently. The idea of general apocatostasis, of a single vast circle of return, especially belonged to Stoic thought. You know what? I'm going to have to wind this up for two reasons. One is because this is heavy, and the other one is because we've already gone a long time in this, and I want to stop. The Stoics conceived one great time circle comprising the entire universe throughout all its history. Note again that only one circle is indicated, not circles within circles. The period time of going round of this circle was called the Magnus Annus. During its passage, the universe passed through certain transformations. One state was that of fire. In the New Testament, it stated that the universe will end in fire. That's in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. For the Stoic, there was no end. The circle, not the straight line, underlay their thinking. Everything in the universe eventually returned from complexity to simplicity. And that's exactly how it is. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. The simplest state of matter was called fire or ether. But once the universe had reached this state, then by successive combinations and condensations, it was again restored. As the same laws were always at work, the successive worlds were held to be exactly similar so that the same persons, the same situations, and the same events appear again and again. That is, after the conflagration, the same things will come to pass by number so that the separate peculiarities will be the same as before. Here we go back to our closed system. Remember, there are only a certain amount of combinations that are available in a closed system. And once those combinations are exhausted, it must repeat. Now, I know this is difficult to wrap your mind around, but it's not that difficult. It really isn't that difficult. All you have to do is let go. Let go of all of your notions about how it is and just allow some different ideas to enter your mind. It won't hurt you. You won't go crazy. You won't lose yourself. You're not going to die. You're not going to be put in a nut house. It's just an exercise in expanding your mind and allowing different ideas, ideas that don't fit with the ideas that you now cling to, concepts that do not fit with the concepts you now cling to. But do you want new meaning? If you wish new meaning, you must be willing to let go of what is meaningful to you now. That's a very difficult thing to do, but it's not impossible. Just try a little here and a little there and see what happens. If you go crazy, I'll throw you a rope and drag you back. If you really want to come back myself, I wouldn't want to, but you may think that that's the way. They're experimenting now with schizophrenics, and they say that there is a way to heal schizophrenia, and that is to go through it, rather than try to stop it with drugs and all the rest of it, to have someone just walk another person through it to get to the other side of it. This makes a lot of sense to me, and it makes a lot of sense to me because if you look at the universe, it's how it works. If you look at our lives, you can see that they don't work, and if you think they do work, then I ask you, really, you think that our lives are working? then what is going on in the world? You think that's all great, so there you go. So clearly, our lives are not working, and we can't keep on saying, oh, it's them, they're the ones doing it. Well, we can keep on saying that, but it's not gonna make it true. Until we own it, until we say, this is my problem, I need to deal with it, I need to solve it within myself. Until we do that, we're lost. Truth is